It can be said that women have created the cuisine of the world by necessity with what they have at hand. This can certainly be said of the pasta grannies, the none of Italy. We talk about it with Vicki Benison. It's on tip of the tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Vicki Benison. She's the host of Pasta Grannies on the Web and author of Pasta Grannies, Comfort Cooking, Traditional Family Recipes from Italy's Best, Cook, Best Home Cooks. It's a wonderful book, and we're so happy to have you here, Vicki. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me. So I guess the first question I have is, how did you get interested in this? Well, I'm lucky enough to have a home in Italy. I'm an Italian resident. And when I first moved there, the first thing I do is, when I visit anywhere, is to go around and find out what the foodways are and what is what is happening. And what I noticed was in my area of Marche, which is on the eastern side of Italy, that it was only the older women who were making pasta by hand. And because of the phys- physicality of pasta making, it wasn't enough to just write about it or take photos of it. It had to be, I felt, videoed which is how the YouTube channel was born. It was, you know, it was slowly at first. It was, you know, only when I found a lady and through word of mouth. And so, you know, once a month or a couple of times a month. And, you know, this was 10 years ago. And so it gradually, you know, got more and more popular. This time, five years ago, I had 5,000 subscribers. And I thought that was probably you know, the pinnacle of of where I was going to get in terms of channel. And in fact, it then went viral. And the YouTube channel has 900,000 subscribers. Instagram has another 100,000, uh, 900,000. And, and Facebook is about 700,000. So it's over two and a half million. It's is really cool. amazing. It yeah. must have been so, quite a shock. <laughs> it was, it was, because that wasn't the motivation. I mean, it was just, you know, somewhere convenient to put films. And then it kind of sucks you in, you know, you've got to sort of demonstrate an audience to have a book published and and that kind of thing. And of course, that was very easy. Once I went viral, I mean, everybody wanted to publish the book. Right. So book number one was published for you four years ago, and that one won a James Beard Award, which I was very proud of. Um, and then this book, <laughs> there was a long time coming. Everybody was going, when are you going to write it? And it's like, soon. <laughs> <laughs> and then the pandemic kind of happened, and that gave me the title uh, for the book, Comfort Cooking, because viewing figures went up by 60% and of the channel, everybody watched Pasta Granny's through lockdown. And people wrote to me, lots and lots of people wrote to me saying how Pasta Granny's kept them going through the pandemic. Um, oh. You know, whenever they were anxious, whenever they were down, they would they would turn on uh, the YouTube channel and watch an episode of Pasta Granny's. So it gave them comfort. I always say that 
people come for the pasta and stay for the grannies. Um, <laughs> one of, uh, a very universal thing. Um, and um, so, yes, so that's that's why it's called comfort cooking. <laughs> well, it's it's just a really, really delightful book. And you tell such an important story. I mean, one of the first things that drew me to you was that because I'm with the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, and so I'm very into preserving things for the future. Mm. It seemed to me that you were documenting something that wasn't being documented. And I thought that this is really, really, really important. You're making um, these stories available for the future, but you were also enlightening people today, which I thought was really the best of both worlds because you're actually letting people know how important it is today. You're not looking at, we're not looking at it 50 years later and saying, oh my goodness, we should have done this, this, and this. You're letting people know today, which I just think is is perfect. It's, it's wonderful. And it's a, a great use of the technology. So thank you for that. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure. And in fact, I think it's, it's a, there's a global need. It may not be pasta, you know, in Turkey or wherever, but it's, or even Southern, Southern America, it's, it's the, the, these, these traditional food ways and, and cooking techniques aren't documented well enough. And I think I'd love to do something, you know, which gets harnesses everybody, you know, let's get all grandchildren to film their grandmothers, make their favorite recipe. That, that would be so, <laughs> so, so wonderful. <laughs> wouldn't that be fun? So it is that kind of experience isn't documented. It is taken for granted, you know, in the best possible way. Everybody thinks that their grandmother is the best cook, particularly in Italy and all the memories that it evokes and that kind of thing. But, you know, in taking it for granted, you forget that certainly in Italy, you know, what grandma is going to be cooking in 20 years time is very different to what she cooks now. And, you know, that the, with the, the economy, you know, has meant that women go out to work they're able to buy pasta rather than make pasta. You know, it's a choice for most women. And that's as it should be. It's just that I think, you know, that it's a small, it's a very small cog in the bigger conversation around sustainability and, you know, sort of keeping diversity on the table. You know, that I'm sure you've talked about it in other episodes, but, you know, it's that kind of thing that, that you, it's no good trying to save an, an obscure bean if you don't know how to cook it. <laughs> Right, right. That's true. I'm oh, sorry, I'm going off on one, but that, that for me is like, you've got to know how to cook. Most, a lot of people don't know how to cook. Um, right, right. And, and I then yeah, see the same technique of, of watching people or filming people making different kinds of, of tortillas and things like that in Mexico and Central America. And yeah, so I, it's, it's all the women doing these things that are being done by hand. And just like you're talking about, in, in those places, you can buy tortillas now. You don't have to be home and make them. But right. it also is a freeing thing that for most women that, that the choice to buy instead of to make is there. So you have that balance too. It's a choice. And then I think what happens is with choice is that you well as started again so for for the women that i film there was no choice mm -hmm. uh, to put pasta on the table you had to make it to buy pasta you had to have the disposable income to do that and most people didn't so actually 
dried pasta was an aspirational middle class thing. Mm-hmm. So you you um um and you know they grew up being told if you don't if you can't make pasta you won't find a husband. <laughs> no pressure (laughs) so this is a it's just something you know the muscle memory on that is extraordinary when you start making pasta from the age of five and you keep doing it for 80 years there is a kind of rhythm and a beauty to it Mm -hmm. that if pasta making is a choice you can get competent quite quickly but you won't achieve that kind of zen master status of making pasta so that's why recording is important Yes. And and the way you make those recordings available to people reading the book with the QR codes, I also love that, <laughs> just to be able to read about what someone has done and see a recipe and then see them do it. It's yes. just a, a wonderful combination. I like that a lot. Yes, it's fun, isn't it? So I like, I mean, books are important because you can sit with the written word and you can imagine it and you're, it's a kind of long it's the slow food bit. And then, you know, you complement it with, oh, let's go back to the video. And that's the sort of fast food bit of it, if you like. It's the convenience cook, uh, cooking. And also it kind of helps you understand the rhythm of it in a way that words can't capture. Um, and so I think the two complement each other, which is why I'm thrilled that, you know, we've got the QR codes in this book. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, I hope that QR codes don't, become obsolete so that, that you can't use them anymore. But mm, we, yes. won't, we won't mm. think about that yet. It, it hasn't happened. So I might as well just not talk about it. <laughs> so one of the things that besides the fact that what you're doing is really honoring these women and telling their story, it's also like a history of Italy. It's a history of all of these places. I mean, it just really tells you how much food is central to absolutely every story because you understand why it's this shape. You understand why it's made with this kind of flour or not even flour. I just think that that's also really, really amazing. Yeah, so it's extraordinary how, you know, climate and geography um, determines uh, what food there is, you know, what that pasta looks like. And, you know, we we can tell, (laughs) we've been doing it for 10 years, we kind of go, ah, you know, this this one is from, you know, Sicily, Buziati, we can tell that that's what it is, you know, this particular way of rolling or whatever. Having said that, you know, then everybody has their own sort of particular technique or take on a recipe. So there is never a standard absolute, although you've got chambers of commerce saying registering recipes and stuff, but, you know, cooks, home cooks don't worry about that kind of thing. So I have to tell you, I'm half Sicilian. And so my grandmother and all this group, there were almost 100,000 Sicilians who came to New Orleans right at the turn of the 20th century. How interesting. They were leaving New Orleans. <laughs> it really, it really did change the food of the city, as you can imagine. That's a huge yes. number of people at a time when maybe 400,000 or five, 500,000, no, it wasn't that big, a maximum 400,000 oh, people. They oh. were, well, it's the short version is after the civil war Sicilians were brought over basically as indentured servants their passage was paid because 
the formerly enslaved people left the Louisiana plantations where sugarcane was being grown. And the they went to Sicily and they recruited people who were sugarcane workers to come and work because it was a specialized kind of labor. And then after they had completed their indenture and they were able to leave, some of them went back to Sicily, but some of them stayed. So everyone in Sicily knew someone who lived in Louisiana, or at least they knew someone who knew someone. And so then when, after Garibaldi unified everything and they were actually operating as a country, the food that was taken from Sicily to feed the people in Northern Italy, because that's where the industrialization was happening, left them really hungry in Sicily. So they left in droves and they went to Louisiana because people knew someone there. They knew there were people who spoke Sicilian and all of that. So they, they went to Sicily for, it's about a 30 year span. And my grandmother and her parents, but my grandmother was 18. They were part of that migration. And um, anyway, that's how they got to that's how they got to New Orleans. They didn't go through any of the other ports to get to New Orleans. They went straight to New Orleans. That's what they, where they were looking to go. And my grandmother used to say, when you make your breadcrumbs and you season them and you do all of that, and then you make whatever you're going to make with your breadcrumbs, you can taste everyone's food in this community. And you know who made this because of the flavor. But as it became so standard to have people wanting breadcrumbs. There was a company called Progresso, which was a Sicilian company that started in New Orleans that started to make breadcrumbs available in a standard way that you could buy at a grocery store. And of course, my grandmother was so distressed by this because she said, now everyone's food tastes the same because they all use these breadcrumbs. There's no individual taste anymore. And she really missed that. Fascinating. We've become, we've become so used to that because that's what people do. They buy this already made or they buy a can of something and everyone's using the same brand. And so it, it does. It does really take that individualization that comes from your own seasoning and your own work. It takes it away. Yeah. Yeah. How interesting. Now I'm, um, so you must do things like the feast of San Giuseppe in New Orleans and all the yes. elaborate bread making. and a, lo a lot of that. Yes. There were, there were many, of course, you know, all these people are now, all the people who came from Sicily are gone and everyone is just of the heritage. They no longer yeah. are actually Sicilian. There are many, many people of Sicilian heritage who've never been to Sicily. So it's it's not the same. And yeah. it becomes more industrialized and more homogenized as, okay. as time goes by. Yes. <laughs> well, I always say that food, as soon as it moves, you know, changes, it has to. It has the to. climate is different, uh, the ingredients, everything. So it's always a process of adaptation to your environment. So it's not surprising that you've, en you've ended up with something that's your own. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, I would very much like to talk to you about your TED Talk. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I love that TED Talk. 
and so how how did you decide that this was something that you wanted to do? I was approached. Uh-huh. Okay. And with yeah. a theme or did you come up with your own uh, subject? Well, I mean, my subject is always pasta grannies. Uh, <laughs> so, so um, and I, I wanted to do something that was, you know, s- sort of reminded us that our grandmothers are more than cute. Um, you know, the, 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 there are the decades of experience you know, means that they're generous and, and welcoming and all sorts of things. But I think the word cute is quite reductive. Yes. And uh, I suppose particularly since I'm getting there myself, you know, I don't want to be called cute. I'm definitely already <laughs> there, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, cute is lovely, but it's it's sort of almost, I just wanted to sort of say that actually these women are survivors and these women wouldn't necessarily think of themselves as feminists, but that, that certainly, uh, you know, in their striving, we should salute them. Um, and uh, yeah, so so that's, I think that was the basis of the TED Talk. Yeah. And giving so, them credit, <laughs> giving them credit for basically inventing cuisine in a way that they are very much not given credit for. Yes, I mean, so, so that's very important is that, you know, the, grandmothers, women in the kitchen are the cornerstone of Italian cooking. And we never see them, you know, they're talked about and everybody, you know, all the chefs go, oh, you know, my granny, my aunt, whoever, and but we just don't see them. So I thought it was important that we place them center stage. And, you know, the, the, you know, the ambassadors, they are, they, you know, if you're going to have ambassadors for Italian cooking, it should be the grandmothers. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Give credit where it's due. <laughs> right, right. Exactly, exactly. Yes. Well, so I'm very, I'm very interested in the fact that you are living in Italy or that you have a residency there. How did yeah. you decide on that? So, um, well, I first fell in love with Italy aged five because my parents worked in Kenya um, and in those days, back in the early 1960s, and the only way back home to the UK was our boat. And the boat went from Mombasa up through the Suez Canal to Venice. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's where you, you stopped. You didn't make it to the UK. You know, that was another sort of another adventure across Europe. So I can remember the spaghetti <laughs> that we had, in, we had in Venice very clearly. And so, you know, I knew Marque where we have our home because my father had done some work in that area and we used to go there quite often. So it wasn't, it, you know, most people think of Tuscany. Um, I didn't because uh, it wasn't on the way anywhere to where I'd been before and all that kind of thing. So Marque it was. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, and I'd had, I'd lived in London for, you know, decades and I wanted a bigger kitchen and the only way to afford that was to move out of London <laughs> and if you're going to move out of London, you may as well move somewhere sunny. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what um, happened. Mm. Well, I am just really thrilled with all of the, the things that I have learned from reading your books and from watching the videos, the videos just they remind me of my grandmother. And so that's always the little nostalgic aspect of them. But also though, how creative it all is because um, really no two pastas are alike. 
and the each besides whatever is regional each person has a different little twist on it even if they're striving for uniformity it's not uniform and that is just just so wonderful i love that about it yes i would say that they're not even striving for uniformity i think they're striving to recreate memories of their own mothers and grandmothers that's um so um they're not too fussed about uh, some sort of abstract standard and also they're very confident of their own palate you know they know how to taste and i think that kind of i don't know how you teach that to people but they know what flavors that they are looking for so you know that that hasn't been sort of obscured by branding (laughs) right right (laughs) So in, in, yeah. in the beginning, when you were first doing this, how difficult was it for you to gain people's confidence? How much were they willing to share with you? Yes. Um, so obviously, as we be, um, Pastor Granny's is, has become more well-known, it's become easier to ask people, you know, now. So in the beginning, it was just me, um, you know, word of mouth. And then Livia De Giovanni, my granny finder, joined me. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> so I have a granny finder. She works. She's marvelous. <laughs> she's, so how we work is is that you know we're we're kind of discussing well where where do we go to next? We're thinking maybe Sicily, and uh, so we'll go. Okay. Well, we've done. You know, it's been a couple of years since we've done Buziati. You know, is there someone? Uh, that we know of and he she will then talk to the mayors and um sort of leaders of the community and ask them who they know of and then and then we work with the families um to find the women so that everybody gets it's not great we don't kind of you know lasso a granny off the street and say come and film uh we we work with grandmothers families and that's and everybody has to agree so quite often grannies say no and that's fine uh-huh. Uh, you know that that's not a problem um and uh, but quite often and then the other way around is that quite often you know the family wants the, the the grandmother to be filmed but actually the granny doesn't ah <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no okay <laughs> next one so so you know everybody has to agree and be happy with the idea and so by the time we actually arrive with our cameras then you know there's a conversation that's already started and so it's quite a relaxed thing that we do. It's not like telly. There's not rehearsals, you know, and we, you know, we might, we might have a, a light to sort of help if it's, you know, evening is coming and, and stuff. But we try and keep it relaxed. And, you know, I know we're strangers in their kitchen, but we sort of have a good chat. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Is there wine involved? All the Always. Time? <laughs> Always. And I mean, they're making the pasta for us. They're not making it for YouTube, you know, so we're always, we always have to sit down and eat it at the end. So, yes, which is lovely. That's a lovely part of it. Yes. And um, Andrea and Luis, my cameramen, are excellent. They have bottomless stomachs. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That reminds me of my, my, my grandmother. She used to have a little glass. It was like a goblet, but it was only about this tall. Mm. And it had a very small little cup at the top of this little stem. And she would put Marsala in there for me. And then we would dip, we would dip our cookies in it and uh, our biscotti and, Mm. um, and eat it. And 
I remember even as a really young child, there was, um, there was always wine. And so I can't imagine that there wouldn't be wine when you're, no. you're making pasta together. <laughs> always. There's always a bottle of homemade wine coming out uh, somewhere. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I think the, our, our grannies are, um, are nonne, uh, they're, they're not huge drinkers. You know, it's, it's maybe one small glass a week, you know, that kind of thing. It's not, they're very sort of frugal. In, in that they you know they know it's good for their digestion they enjoy it but there's not like a kind of knock it sure, back every day. sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes i mean i think that that reticence in that way is probably just bred from the beginning that you only mm. eat this much you don't eat as much as you possibly can you just eat this much and you only drink this much and you savor this one peach or whatever you're doing and Yes, that's, that's right. Yep. That's the way it is. Yes. Yes, that, that kind of frugality is is applies to everything. I think. Yes. Yes. My grandmother had this box that I, I'm sure something came in the box. It was a wooden box. I don't think anyone made the box for her, but her her brother in law made a um, uh, a top for it that was made out of sheet metal, and he took a hammer and nailed a nail in and then pulled out the nail all over it and when you flipped it over that kind of blossom that the nail makes created a grater and then you would grate your bread your stale bread on it and it would fall into the box yes and that was how she grated her bread and when I was a child being able to use that was just that was the treat you know and you were big enough that they would trust you not to scrape your hand on it and all of that and get blood in the bread. <laughs> and uh, um, so it really was a, a great honor to be able to do that. And just that frugality of not letting bread go to waste was just so ingrained in my grandmother. Yes. And do you still have the box? I wish I did, but they put it into the garage at some point when my grandmother was getting older and my mother said, oh, you can't do this anymore, you know, and physically took it away and put it in the garage and it fell apart. So no, I don't have it anymore because I would, I would still keep it if I had it. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I can discuss it with my cousins because my, my grandmother had well, there were 11 children, only nine of them came to adulthood, but still nine is a lot. And so you can imagine the number of grandchildren and cousins that this produced. And so there were cousins who have a box from their, from their grandmother. So I get to at least know that they still go on. <laughs> and do you all get together and bottle tomatoes and that kind of thing in the summer or? Actually, we don't because we don't all live in New Orleans anymore. And, you know, we've kind of spread out all over America. And so it's really not the same. And Mm -hmm. I always feel nostalgic because my children, they knew my mother, but they didn't know my grandmother. So they never knew anyone who was from Sicily. They didn't sit around and have everybody speaking Sicilian or anything like that. So Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a, I, I mean, I think all immigrants have this, this thing where 
eventually I'm the one who bridges both sides and um, then the next generation just has become American. I mean, they know intellectually that they are just, of course, they were just a quarter Sicilian, not half Sicilian. And it just becomes a fact, but it isn't quite the same thing that happens when you know the people who came from there. It's just kind of, it becomes diluted. Um, Mm -hmm. So they don't have the same feeling about it. I mean, they want to eat the food, believe me, but um, it doesn't have the same nostalgic thing that it did for me. Yeah. Hmm. I I think that's why you have to go to Italy in order to do what you're doing. You can't do it with people who happen to live in, in, in England or, or in America or whatever that you have to be where it was because it changes as it, as it moves. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. That, that in situ portion of it is, is an actual important component. Mm. Well, Vicki, we've come to the end of our time now. I just want to thank you so much. I want to mention the name of the book again, because it's so important that everyone go out and get this book pasta grannies and even though it's all about pasta grannies it is representative of people all over grandmothers all over who have made something daily or weekly that has influenced everyone so pasta grannies comfort cooking it is a wonderful book it I love that it brings you through its QR codes right to YouTube so that you can see what's been filmed. And then of course, people can follow you on the internet and see things there too. Yes. So thank you. You're (laughs) welcome. Thank you so much for this great conversation. I think, oh, I think what you're doing is just so very important and it's quite a treasure that you've amassed in terms of all of these films and interviews and uh, everything that you've done. Thank yes. you for that. That is an absolute pleasure. I think I have the best job in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.